This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by bellacatering.com.au. Guys, Victoria's competing with Queensland now in Australia to be our Florida. It is shutting shit down. The second wave of COVID-19 is coming back around if you're in the United States. It's just keep on keeping on. It's just one entire tsunami of this thing hitting your country. So I hope you're all staying safe and your family is staying safe and you're practicing all the right precautions and taking care of each other. But here in Sydney, things are starting to open up cautiously, cautiously. People are teetering and fearing that situation in Victoria is going to cross the border and come into Sydney. So what do you need to do? You need to get some shit catered. You need to get some shit catered by bellacatering.com.au. The family team over there are just incredible. And why cook for your own family when they can do it? Thanks to Bella Catering. Thanks for listening. Let's get into the show. I've been the US correspondent for Seven News, one of Australia's largest commercial broadcasters. I've been called to testify about my experience covering protests near Lafayette Square Park, particularly the incident in which my cameraman Tim Myers and I were physically assaulted by Park Police on June the 1st while we were broadcasting live to Australia with hundreds of thousands of people watching, including our families. This video, which formed part of the coverage in Australia, shows the incident from multiple angles. Police begin their attack. Guys, we've just had to run about a block as police moved in. We've been uh, fired at with rubber bullets. My cameraman has been hit. Uh, we've also seen tear gas being used. Here we go, they're moving through again. This is exactly what it looks like. With a shield in the stomach, a punch to the lens. Another officer lashes out with a baton as we run, trying to get out of an early surge. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me is a friend of One Heat Minute Productions, uh, a person who navigated the most infamous scene in heat no it's not the final scene no it's not the heist scene no it's not the scene with val kilmer being uh waved off by ashley judd no it's not the opening heist scene the ralph scene and yes she's an exceptionally talented writer who writes for places like variety and she's part of the la film critics and uh and she does have her own site which um uh, or, or contributes to a, um, a smaller site called mm-hmm. Fresh Fiction TV. And she's great. She's just a friend. I couldn't wait to talk to her on this show. It was what happens is when you're looking through your Rolodex of people that you love talking to on shows like this, she was in my list and we just haven't connected yet. And it just seemed crazy that we hadn't. And so aptly and by almost happy accident, I had this incredible scene coming up where Woodward and Bernstein do some kind of questionable stuff with one of their team members. And I wanted a powerful, badass lady to talk to me about it because I think it's something that had been referenced many times in the show coming up. And so here she is. We share the same name. We're not related, but I feel a kinship with her. It's Courtney Howard. Courtney, <laughs> welcome back to a one heat minute production. Welcome to all the president's minutes. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. That is a hell of an introduction. I will gladly take it. I love talking with you. So it's great to be back speaking with you about yet another influential movie on a lot of us, um, not just journalists, but you know, even audience members. I think this is a well-loved uh, classic. Granted, uh, I will preface that I haven't seen this nearly as many times as I've seen Heat or uh, Inherent Vice, but <laughs> it's still a milestone film for, uh, you know, for me. Whenever it's on, I still wind up watching it. So I just haven't caught it on TV that much, which is weird. It should be playing more on American television than it actually sort of isn't. Well, what's funny is I hear that the programming and I heard it from very first time from Chris Evangelista, um, a very talented podcaster and writer Mm -hmm. slash film. And Chris was Mm -hmm. like, I don't know who was the programmer, but the night that the night that the election was lost, uh, from the Democrats and Trump won the election, um, all the president's men was on like HBO or something. And like, and then basically (laughs) every week, from there, like, I think every week or, you know, or maybe even every night as the, like the late night showing it was on in America. Mm. I think the people at HBO were kind of having a little, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to, uh, any of their particularly inspired and politically <laughs> engaged, uh, subscribers <laughs> by sort of just going, Oh, this would be a good movie to just familiarize yourselves with, to prepare yourselves for the next four years. Um, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, there was a lot of that. I, I, I had the inverse reaction, which is, you know, you, you know, better than anyone, how much I've watched heat. But like when we were going through the heat project, one heat minute, I mm-hmm. watched it so much and in a weird way, like this is what people sometimes ask, like, oh, how many times did you watch heat? Did you watch it every time for every show? And I said, no, not every, I didn't watch every single, like the whole film, every single time before every episode, that would be lunacy. Um, mm-hmm. because there's 180 episodes now. So I would have, um, I've, I've definitely watched it more than that, but not, not in that chunk, but I used to watch chunks. I'd watch like 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes. And so because I'd been watching so much of heat all across the map of the whole running time, um, I would put on just anything. And, you know, when you've got your iTunes library and all the president's men starts with a it's at the top. And so usually when you're like, I just want to put something on to be white noise while I'm Mm-hmm. or fiddling around, I would just hit play and this movie caught my attention and enraptured me. Like I already loved it, but I grew a great love for it with this like, it just lures you in, right? It just pulls you mm-hmm. in. If it's on TV or if you happen to just like stumble past it, it's like, ooh, this is this is so good. I, I, I don't mean to be doing, I don't mean to be getting lured in, but I'm getting lured in and I'm in. I'm in. It's so fun to watch this now as I'm sure then to see people who are capable of doing their job, who are passionate about doing their job and getting facts right. Like it seems like a rarity now, especially like in the blogosphere, there's more than what I'm talking about, but even at like major newspapers too, like these people were committed to getting the facts right. Entire entire major news outlets with a name that rhymes with box. Um, uh, (laughs) that seem to be totally comfortable with ignorance of fact, um, Mm -hmm. denial of fact. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so seeing people agree that things are facts 
<laughs> and yeah. just like happy place where facts are just, okay, we can agree on that. Yeah. 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 At a foundational so level. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's fun to get back to like the nitty gritty of journalism <laughs> yes. and like watch it and be like, they know what they're doing. And there's such a great dynamic between the actors and you have all these people come on like Martin Balsam mm. and like Jason Robards and they just like fucking kill it. Ugh. Like in this small amount of like screen time that they're in and you're just like, you can't help but not look away from that. Like <laughs> even with the gal who we'll be talking about today, Lindsay Krause, like she just fucking kills it in her like very small scene, but it's so pivotal and it speaks volumes to everyone's character and how journalism works and ethics and morals and, and everything like that. And I think Alan uh, J. Pakula is like just such a master at sort of, I don't know, condensing all of this into such potent minutes in each of, in every minute of this movie. So it's not a surprise to me that you would break this movie down minute by minute. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Well, th well, that's good. You, I guess you guys, you're starting to see, or you at least recognize what I recognize, which is especially from this moment in the movie, you know, we've got pretty, there's some people that pop in, you know, a couple of little like, bits of roles, but this is like really the, I don't know. It's like a conga line of like, great. You are going to have a three minute scene at best, like for a guest mm -hmm. stars coming up and, or, you know, some of them are six minutes or whatever. And we need you to crush it out of the park. So the book, the infamous bookkeeper scene is coming up. That's basically from like the 76th minute, almost to like just beyond 80. It's about a five minute scene at the sort of broadly centerpiece of the movie. But like you get Lindsay Krauss here and it's just everyone they visit from this upcoming list, which she, you know, this, this interaction instigates at um, the, the uh, committee to reelect the president all these great faces, people, interactions, they may literally only be on, on screen for like less than, and less than a minute. Mm -hmm, they just mm -hmm. smash their scene out of the park and they become memorable. And I, I just love that there's such an, a care, a care and attention to detail in these movies. And I don't know about you, but it's something again that I was watching this morning and in preparation for talking to you is it feels like some big, I don't know what changed. Maybe it's like post Pirates of the Caribbean or something like that. Like there was a real shift where some big epic, like sort of superhero fair or big movies, even some of those later Transformers movies feel like there's like three actual people. And then there's like, there's the worlds aren't populated with other human beings who are like, who feel real or who interact. It's just like this very small cohort. There's all this chaos, but you're anchored in it. And it takes no time to acknowledge like that. There's a really rich world. Like, whereas if you, if mm -hmm. you, and, and I just was, it was also something that annoys me with these like very contemporary epics in that way, because it's like, you are ignoring, mm -hmm. you are ignoring that this is a, uh, like you're ignoring that this is like, so clearly a, a populated world with rich characters, with rich people. And even these little interactions, they care to cast them. They care to do something. Whereas like in 
maybe it's like a contemporary thing just in general where they're like, yeah, just get like some person, like basically like a walk on. Mm -hmm. Let's not get Lindsay Mm -hmm. Krauss or let's not get like a great actor that's going to be across Mm -hmm. the scene. Let's just get anyone. And it just feels so Mm -hmm. antithetical to like great storytelling and classic movies. Yeah. I mean, if I was an editor, I would say start writing that piece right away and like exploring where that sort of shifted in history. I don't know if it's like a, uh, economy of story, uh, maybe just an, a budgetary thing. Although I'm sure uh, all of these sort of, you know, cameo roles or what have you, and all the president's men did not cost that much. I'm sure their passion is what drove them to uh, being in this and then working with such masterful people like, you know, Hoffman and Redford and Bakula and like everybody involved. But I don't know if it's something that, that was there or if audience are just bored with like, I I totally agree with you that there's like an, there's a wealth of rich characters and worlds to explore and people just, I think just don't like the creatives just don't. I think the key word is care. They just don't care to explore it. (laughs) And uh, they just want to move things along to the next big action thing. And some filmmakers are able to sort of build that all together Yes. And like, I think like the Mission Impossible franchise is really great at building that all and sort of marrying all those like characters that you want to know about and doing it in such a swift, um, again, economy of time and resources in this like compacted space where you can sort of appreciate all of these different actors work and their characters and how they impact the universe. But you know, more often than not, like you just get sort of this bland sort of thing where that's a, where the, that's a that's a good it's a good call with Chris McQuarrie, but he's such a throwback. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like if you if yeah. you think of Rogue Nation, you know he's he's watching sure. Ro- he's watching Rogue Nation and he's trying to tell like something like a Casablanca love story, even going to Casablanca mm-hmm. in the middle of the ca- in the middle of like a seventies. A British crime yeah. thriller like Prism, and he's loving the interplay between those two genres and those two things. And those things are that you know, if you if you're a, if you love those throwbacks, like you're you're caring about every individual character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right there, and even I think it's like War of the Worlds with Spielberg. I think Spielberg in in that scope, that still feels like you get to know, even though you're mm-hmm. so focused on little people, uh, little family you still feel like you get to know a lot of the faces and the people and these people they're interacting mm-hmm. with. And obviously like the weirdo Tim Robbins that's in the movie as well, but like all those, <laughs> all those weird and wonderful people that they're sort of along this journey with in the different faces and you, you sort of get to know them, but um, it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't It's, it's, but, but it's, it definitely appeals to me. Like in, you know, mm-hmm. just how many great actors pop in and there's, you know, I think now contemporary filmmakers like, and, and obviously on completely different styles of films, but you get like a, a Paul Thomas Anderson, for example, or you get mm-hmm. sure. particularly like Steven Soderbergh. I feel like he runs mm-hmm. from his playbook almost better than anyone, which is like yeah, the guests that pop Definitely. in his movies are memorable and they're usually stars that like just pop in and you're like, holy shit, mm-hmm. like, that person's in this movie? Awesome. Um, and yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, I think about it with Logan Lucky, like that it's Hilary Swank mm-hmm. and Macon Blair, are mm-hmm. the detectives, and you're like, they're in this movie for like three minutes. 
It's awesome. Like, he just got an Academy <laughs> Award winner to just roll in for three minutes and then go to a bar and flirt with Adam Driver. Like, I'm in. This movie rules. And, it uh, does. So, yeah. It really does. Uh, so, I look forward to your Logan Lucky minute-by-minute <laughs> minute, uh, podcast. I will be all over that, oh, too. <laughs> look, it's, it, it definitely deserves a miniseries. Um, very, very fun. <laughs> Ocean Seven Eleven, it'd have to be what it's called. Um, That's right. Uh, um, but yeah, no, it's 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 just really interesting. But uh, again, we can get back to our minute. This is a brilliant film. It has brilliant actors, and and I think that I think everything that you just said. One thing I just want to briefly touch on again and underscore, which I think is so smart, mm-hmm. is people who were interested in this project will want wanted to be a part of it, mm-hmm. and I think that when you have a project that's so important and I, and you know, I think around the times of things like nine 11 and, and, and those things like huge moments of upheaval and stories about that. And even like the post Vietnam war, when there was that sort of eighties, like late seventies, early eighties glut um, of, of Vietnam war films, people are like, I want to be involved in this film because it's telling a story that I think mm-hmm. is politically engaged. And I'm interested in this movie at being made at the time having all these people in it, it's like, yep, yeah, this is a movie I want to be a part of because it's got, it's, 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 you know, it's telling a story that I feel is important. So yeah, I'll take scale, you know, I'll take scale for mm-hmm, a day mm-hmm. and act on it for like one day and then leave and just say hi to Robert Redford and Alan Pakula and maybe Hoffman and mm-hmm. be like, all right, see you. I'm out. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm sure. And I'm sure like, you know, it's one of those things when you see, passionate people doing passionate work also like yourself like you're doing this you're so passionate about your project and you're just like yes i'm sold i would like to be a part of that so like i'm sure it's the exact same thing with all the president's men you know if i can sort of like toot your own horn or something or whatever (laughs) whatever the phrase is but like you know what i mean like I'm sure like people heard Redford's pitch over town, you know, all over town. And it's like, yes, that does need to be made. I will count me in, you know? Well, I, I definitely appreciate that. I, I, I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate the horn being tooted and, 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 and being compared to Robert Redford in any way. I'm sure like Bob, Bob, Bob. Um, <laughs> we can, we can take that. We can take out the outlandish concept that we are anything close to Robert Redford and we'll take it. We'll take it. That's right. <laughs> we'll t- absolutely take it. <laughs> So here we are we're at the 63rd minute of the film. We've had right on the hour mark. We have a brilliant minute where basically Ben Bradley lays it all to bear, you know, 60th and 61st minute where he's just like, get some luck, mm-hmm. like figure this shit out. Where's this story actually going? And where's the story? Yeah. Where is it actually going? What is going on? And we descend with these guys uh, into you know, literally in an elevator, descend into their despondency. Like, I don't know where this is going. And then there's a revelation. It's like, holy shit, K-80 in our office, played by Lindsay Krause, dated someone from the committee to re-elect the president or was with someone who was in that committee. Mm -hmm. Maybe as a Hail Mary she can get us a list of those employees so that we can actually go around. Cause we know at least one of them was her partner ex, which they don't really know at the beginning of their interaction. And we're now at a scene that is really just shows, I guess the first good cop, bad cop maneuvering with these guys. Yep. 
And so it's a great scene. I'm extremely fond of the scene and the way that they play it. Both of them together, it tells a lot about their personalities. Both these scenes mm-hmm. tell a lot about their personalities. And I would love to watch it with you now and for us to come back and talk about it. So? You're looking better. So? <laughs> <laughs> Look, we need a list of the people that work there. Do you think that... I can't do that. Why not? It's personal. What do you mean? You said it was over. You're asking me to use a guy I care about. No, no. We're not, ask, not asking you to use him just well, to sure help you. us. I mean, we'd do the same for you. My only chance of getting that story is if I see him. I don't want to see him again. What, do you have to see him? Sure I have to see him. No, do you have to see him that way? Can't you just call him up on the telephone and say you want to have a drink with him? Just feel him out? When you say the relationship is over, and what the hell do you have to lose? Forget it. We don't want you to do anything that would embarrass you or that you don't feel right about. Forget it. A great scene. So, so good. It's so good. I'm so glad you assigned me this moment. It was such a good moment to sort of dive into and sort of dissect like every little thing about that scene. It's, I just want to commend the living daylights out of Lindsay Krause. It's just going to be the Lindsay Krause show just for a couple of moments. That's right. Because within 10 seconds around the 30 second mark, she lets the emotions of her character wash through her as Kaeti and she's on the brink and it's so beautiful. And what's so great is <laughs> I love Hoffman's like, just call him on the phone. You got nothing to lose. What are you embarrassed yeah, about? Like yeah. he's, he's, he's yeah. such a guy who's been a man about town that, and is so, you know, like, and, and, or at least in the concept of this movie, having so many different relationships that it's, it's no concept to him that calling some, calling an ex for a story could ever have any real emotional weight or impact. And what is so beautiful is that as he keeps talking, Woodward stops talking and he's just blathering on like, Oh, I just call him. You have to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Woodward actually is pausing to register a 30 second eclipse in this person's emotion that says, mm-hmm. Oh no, I'm actually going to register that you, you even thinking about the concept of talking to this person again is making you really uncomfortable and it's not good. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's just dynamite storytelling. Great. And, and it's so much to tell about the morality. I love it. It's just, it's so powerful. It's such a powerful little scene. Yeah. I mean, I love the whole like interaction between the two men and her, uh, you know, they're coming into her space and asking her for this big thing. Like their piece rides on this yes. and like, you know, the positioning of them just physically in the frame too, I think says a lot about the dynamic and what's being said, you know, underlying the subtext. Um, Redford's like on her same level and he's like, uh, Woodward is just sort of intensely reading her tone and her body language and like really gets what's going on in her head. But Bernstein's playing like this other role where he's like, 
he's a little higher in the frame. Like the way he's sitting is sort of like a little, I wouldn't say intimidating, but a little more he's like flexing the encroaching. Pal- he, yeah, he's flexing the yeah. power dynamic. He's slouching. He's leaning in. He's, 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 he's above her in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, and then he's trying to coax her into this thing, which she's not really keen on. And, you know, they're trying to butter her up with a compliment at the beginning, like sort of hitting on her. I don't think that would take place in a work in a workspace these days, but maybe. Um, so they try to like butter her up at the very beginning, but then, you know, Woodward if, if everyone, like, That's if, everyone not. if everyone consented, being flirted with by Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. Oh my God. And, like <laughs> when they're both sort of smiling at her beautifully at this time, it's fine. Like, I mean, if everyone's happy for this to happen. Sure, and, sure. And, 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 and Lindsay Krauss <laughs> has got the most, like, uh, Charlie's Angels gorgeous 70s hair at, in that moment. Mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. you look better, and they have a little chuckle. Like, it's just a it's a, it's a funny little uh, in-jokey thing, but it's definitely flirtatious, and it shows that these guys are not, are not above flirtation as a means of mm-hmm. buttering someone up to get an answer or a story lead that they want. Yeah. And she's just like, and I think this is her first film role too. I, from what I was reading on IMDb, um, I think this this is her first feature film. And she just like, really like what you were saying before, just like, really, she just grasps your attention within like a couple of seconds because you know, you, you can feel like her feeling like this is encroaching on a line and that, you know, like you said, you know, Bernstein would have no problem calling up an ex and buttering them up and trying to get what he needs. But then for her, she's like, yeah, I know. Like, it totally works different from the woman's perspective. <laughs> and and also from Carl, a guy who at this stage, I think the history is that he's not, he's not married at this moment. Um, yeah. Um, but he's seeing, you know, I think... I think someone someone put it great, and I can't remember who it was. So forgive me. Is like Carl's apartment compared to Woodward's implies that because it's you know very very well adorned and 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 very put together. It's like Carl sees more women, so the apartment's mm-hmm. nice and clean and nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like mm-hmm. that 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 implied um, uh, uh, increased visitation, shall we say? And uh, and like that's probably. A, as, as mild a way as, as I can put it, but it's, but it's <laughs> very diplomatic, very diplomatically. <laughs> so, so, um, but, but for him, he hasn't had a connection that was as well, at least at this stage of the movie or stage of his life, potentially it's like, he hasn't had as, as deep a connection of like being engaged to someone mm-hmm. and the prospect of either an engagement or a marriage going to hell at this time, it's starting to come into the popular consciousness, but it's not, it's definitely not prevalent. And so she would have already mm-hmm. had to deal with the stigma of a relationship going down as, you know, in her family and her life and everything like that. And in this moment, it's kind of reliving that. It's like, oh, I deal with relationships differently to you, Carl. Um, mm-hmm. But she can't mm-hmm. say that because it's the pressure of the office scenario. And it's so great to watch watch how, like six seconds in, Woodward and Bernstein are together and got this massive cheesy grin. I think I might use it as the as the mm-hmm. cover, as the cover for this episode, either or or Definitely. Lindsay Krauss might use both. Um, but they've got this big cheesy <laughs> grin, and then like like we talked about that power dynamic, the eye lines, the bo- the bodies in the frame, 
it then changes the whole dynamic of the rest of the interaction. And Lindsay Crass has got a lot of work to do as far as telling the mm-hmm. rest of this story. And, and really from 10 seconds in, she's like, I can't do that. I can't use a person. And then mm-hmm. it's like from, I don't know, the 18th second of the minute really that Woodward is not talking anymore and Bernstein's talking and Krauss is reacting to what their what their interactions are. It's it's just Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to for us, I guess you and I to think about, but it's like it's the same when you know a friend is a you know, uh, uh, speaking from the just the something as silly as this podcast or or this podcast production is like working with Travis Woods on increment vice or like knowing someone like you, it's like, Oh, Hey, I, you know, that person, like, would you mind giving me their email? I think that's Mm -hmm. about the extent Mm -hmm. of what I've had to do for Mm -hmm. the show as opposed to, do you know this person? Can you give me their email? Do you mind emailing them on my behalf or introducing us and see if they're cool to do this? But like when you're saying, Hey, can you go to your ex and get me a list? That's probably illegal for them to share with me. And they would have to do it. (laughs) Bernstein makes that like as casual as, Hey, can you give me an email address? You know, can you yeah. call? And she's like, A, it's serious, but B, I'm going to yeah. have to flex a favor that he would only do for his partner or have to do something for it. And there mm-hmm. is a currency with women and men that you are clearly inept at understanding what I would have to do for that information. That's right. You, and you see that all flash in her eyes, you know, in that small amount of time like you see that all registered like she understands it from a journalist perspective because obviously she's there in the newsroom and uh, she gets it she's like you know that she understands the weight of this um, request and like you said there's the currency of like what she's gonna have to do to even get that list to sort of like ethically sort of compromise things and compromise you know, her career, her positions on things yes. like, and just her physical, maybe a physical favor, you know, too, you know, who knows like what she's going to have to do to sort of get this list for, uh, from her ex, like, Oh God, like to see an ex like that, like, and they don't even know how her relation, like they're just assuming their relationship sort of broke up like amicably, yeah. like, not that it was like, maybe it was a total terrible relationship, <laughs> like a horribly traumatic oh, one. And she's going to have to like, they like, and here's like, here's Carl just like, Hey, maybe you do this. Maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe this happens. Da, 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 da. And like, here's the script you should follow. And like, he just is oblivious to how relationships go. And I think <laughs> the sort of seconds that sort of follow it when they're like exiting the cubicle, like, you know, he's like, why are you doing that? Da, 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 da. You know, he's like, they're sort of having this like argument between the two, uh, the two men there. And they're like, why did you do that? Da, da, da. And like, you know, uh, uh, Woodward's like, you know, forget it. It was over. It was over. You know, like, like we're not, you see their bickering. We'll also read the, read the audience. Read the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think mm-hmm. that with Carl reflexively in this moment, and he's not, he's not this guy mm-hmm. in so many of his interactions. He actually gets the people and he reads them. But it's like the shorthand that he, he has in his brain that says, I'm mm-hmm, a journalist mm-hmm. and 
I can talk to uh, someone else in my newsroom the same way that I would expect me to be talked about. So, like, if someone said to Carl, and this is what I think is probably a good sort of baseline to talk about when you talk about, like, pure character. If someone in that room said to Carl to talk to an ex, he'd just pick the phone up and start dialing. Like, he doesn't care. Totally, totally. He'd be like, what do you need? <laughs> what, do you, what do you need? Yeah, yeah, I'll talk to him. What have I got to lose? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. because in that moment, he's not he's not taking any emotional consideration to how the relationship went because probably Carl's relationship wasn't as long or is serious. Right. So he right. has no context exactly. of weight. So he's asking the question without having any context. He's like, I can't imagine that. Like, um, I can't imagine an ex, um, you know, largely because I'm a piece of shit, but you know, I can't imagine me reaching out to an ex for something, um, you know, which is a really long time ago because I've been with my wife for such a long time, but it's like, uh, yeah. you know, like, um, <laughs> But I can't imagine doing that, like, at a time. Like, hey, do yeah. you want to go to your ex? I'd be like, no. How about no? Yeah. How about I don't want to talk to that person anymore? And Never. Never. They don't want to talk to me. <laughs> they certainly don't want to right. talk to me. Uh, There's a lot of assumptions <laughs> going on there with him. A lot of assumptions. I started thinking of the whole, like, is it heartburn? Nora Ephron's heartburn? Yeah. yeah. Um, of with how his portrayal was, yeah, in that movie. And, like, starting to think of, like, how he was like with his relationships and how it's portrayed there too. It's so funny how these movies sort of like the interconnectedness of these movies of yeah. not just that, but I thought of the post too when watching this and like sort of this dynamic between this language and discussion between all these movies and sort of finding that connective through line. I guess that's just what we do yes. um, as, you know, film critics, but like, I started thinking of heartburn and like how he was in that and how sort of like how they just nail his personality when it comes to the relationships and that and sort of, you know, transmit and sort of like we can extrapolate how he was in relationships where he's like, Oh, it's just, you know, he's kind of more breezy than, than anybody. The, sto but, the, uh, sto the story is the focus. Mm -hmm, the concept mm -hmm. for the story, so much bigger for him than, mm -hmm. Then, excuse me, my dog is just. Can you? Can you? I know. I see. I see curtains moving, and <laughs> just, I thought maybe like the, this is uh, the the just behind here is like because um, uh, my wife and I were working from home. Is my wife's office <laughs> is just behind me, and my dog's little kennel is behind there. So she like gets out, she just cut a lap around the room, and then uh, and like started shaking right next to me. I'm like, shut up, man! Get back into your kennel. Sit down. Um, <laughs> Uh, cameo <laughs> your dog makes a cameo and just kills it and kill, during our podcast kill, kills it kills it if it was a video <laughs> podcast she'd steal the show all the time all my kids it's like yeah. it's the, it's the cute old dog yeah. all the kids um but no i think i think one of the things also yeah it's it's uh, Nora efron with her comedic timing is having a lot of fun mm -hmm. in heartburn skewering her ex carl bernstein because of the way that he mm -hmm. is and nicholson is so like is so uh, isn't isn't wedded to the same sort of fact-based portrayal he can he can have mm -hmm, a bit more, mm -hmm. be more playful with it and so i think it's mm -hmm, fun to mm -hmm. see it along that continuum of like that's a really mm -hmm. cool thing to see who we're never really we can always lie to ourselves and i think um you know some people have that sort of suspension of disbelief that that is exactly who this guy is and i think if if people yeah. are close to the essence in the portrayal I think there's a mm -hmm. real truth to that essence, but then, like for example, um, you know, it, it, Efron has got a, got a such a more intimate relationship with Bernstein that 
it's it's like anyone who knows you really well, they can say a little joke or make you, your character say a line that is maybe a little bit more truth-telling than you would allow mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. production that's like really fact-based, mm-hmm. based on a novel that you I, wrote to, to, yeah. to portray you. And I think too, like Hoffman, from what I read, the behind-the-scenes stuff, is like Hoffman and Redford sort of followed, you know, their avatars around and sort of, you know, observed them. And so, you know, the way just that Hoffman works, like everything, like especially his little dialogue, he's like, yeah, go get a drink, you know, da, 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 you know, feeding the scripts and stuff. Like it seems so natural and off the cuff, Yes. but I'm sure he had like some complete insight into the character of, this guy, this real life figure. And so I'm sure he probably also brought that in with him when sort of constructing his own character, like the character of a character, you know what I mean? Yeah. Hoffman's a method guy. So he's like, like you said, Mm -hmm. he's a sponge. Mm -hmm. He's watching the way he smokes. He's watching Mm -hmm. the way he wears his tie. Like those little details for those method guys are so, it's so important because it like it ripples through like you know how he wears his tie, how he smokes, mm-hmm, how he has his mm-hmm. conversation, how he wears his shirt. Is it tucked in? Is it not tucked in? Is his tie straight? Like mm-hmm. all those little details are. Why is this guy's tie not straight? Well, he doesn't care. Is his you know mm-hmm. is is his workspace a mess? Yes, because his mind is a bit of a mess. But then when he gets home, it's like a slightly different, more curated thing. Mm-hmm. All those things would be playing on him and helping inform his performance. So, yeah, I think there's a, and like even just even the way he was sitting, like, I, like, I don't want to, I don't know that there's a word for it because it's not quite like he's dominating the cube, uh, the cubicle that he's in because his shoulders are slouched and he's obviously got some like, you know, he's sort of like vulnerable, but he's asking this huge request. So this, it's this weird, like sort of, yeah, this like juxtaposition, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not it's, exactly dominating. It's not this like no, I'm encroaching in on your space, but, but, but you know what I mean? But there's a link, like you're so right because it's like it's like passive dominance because it's he yeah. is, he is he's leaning in and leaning mm-hmm. a little bit over, whereas mm-hmm. Redford's Woodward because of like the height, this is kind of like mirroring their natural height difference in, 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 in the inverse really. But he's like sitting mm-hmm. down, very relaxed, very comfortable mm-hmm. for that dialogue and that conversation to happen so organically. And then Hoffman is up leaning. And even though it's passive, it is the more dominant in the scene. Like he's mm-hmm. pushing the questions and not being receptive to what the emotions are. But I, again, I just, uh, you know, I, um, Another little tidbit, uh, I spoke from, in One Heat Minute, I spoke to a filmmaker by the name of Tom King, who was in the Kramer versus Kramer directing team. He was an uh, an assistant director Mm. in that team. So when they won the Academy Award for direction, I think. Married people arguing. Married people arguing. That's my my shit. That is all your shit. Kramer's my shit. Yeah. Um, (laughs) He he talked about Meryl Meryl is a lady who take one, two, three, like by the third take, Meryl has given you everything you want. Like she's just crushed Mm. it by three takes. And what he used to say with Hoffman, especially on Kramer versus Kramer, and obviously married people arguing requires a different level of crescendo to be be Mm -hmm. running up to all the time. But he was like, it would take him like six takes to really warm up. Like he would like the warm up. He would play for a few takes and then he'd really start like, crushing the scenes, you know, once he hit that. Mm. And I think even, um, 
uh, even Michael Mann used to talk about with Mr. Pacino, um, he would say, like, Al, within six takes, Al has given me basically everything that I could want that's on the page and that we've discussed. And then if we're going beyond six, we're having fun, we're playing, we're, like, flexing, we're trying new techniques, we're trying... He's trying the scene in 10 different more ways for me if I want it, like, wild, like great ass or whatever. So I think that mm. that, that Kramer versus Kramer, Tom King is like, he would run up. So I, I wonder how, I wonder in these kind of scenes, like that emotion, how many times it's taking for him to get into this really casual car. Like, that's what I think of. Like, that's a little subtext mm-hmm. for me. I'm like, how did he, mm-hmm. is he wondering, is, how's he getting that run up? Cause there's a nice little like rhythm mm-hmm. to the way that he's casually like asking her to do this huge thing. So mm-hmm. like casually, oh, you know, it's just you know, mm-hmm. just you know, give him a call. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm barely even talking. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. such a small favor. You can barely hey. even hear what I'm saying. Yeah, it's just nothing. It's just nothing. <laughs> it's only that you've got my entire career in your hands. But you know, it's nothing. It's just casual. We're just breezy here. And, We're just and, breezy. And speaking of married people arguing, hey, do you want to get far up an argument with the next for me to get a, a confidential that's piece right. of documentation? <laughs> that's uh, going to have a risk to your relationship with them most certainly, but me as well because it's illegal for me to acquire that document any other way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's just saying it's so cash. Thanks, Carl. So, yeah, no pressure. No pressure. Nah. Just, you know, just all this stuff. No pressure. Uh, but but I think um, if we can sort of extend the conversation to, like, the following sort of, like, the bookend to this, you know, the end to this scene of, like, you know, when she does sort of, like, maybe that's your next minute, that, like, when she does get that list and drops it on the desk, and I think it's um, very telling that she drops it on Woodward's desk not Bernstein's, she drops it on Woodward. Yes. Um, and like the the framing that she's in when she sits down at her desk is just this wordless exchange. Like that's Krauss killing it. Like she's just killing it again. again. Like to sort of have this like no dialogue to rely on just to sort of both commit to and they decide to tell what they're saying within visually and just like an unspoken sort of thing between them. Like I thought that was really powerful. It's, it's, it's really powerful. It's really, really powerful because for me that, that articulates like a whole realm that I'm never going to understand. And I think male journalists to a large extent aren't going to understand in the same way that a a woman journalist is, especially in the seventies, which is like another layer but like you're never mm-hmm, going to understand mm-hmm. what that is because if you're just this freewheeling, obsessive journalist, male, male or female that has no like connections and then you make it more problematic when you've got connections, then you have to use connections in your personal life to get stories because Washington DC in and of itself is this like weird little incestuous community in some respects. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm you're never going to understand how problematic that is because you're going, you're, you're like crossing the invisible line of as a, as a woman journalist that I can potentially use my sexuality for a story. And like mm-hmm, later mm-hmm. they get that with Penny Fuller who plays Sally Aitken. And that is more overt. Like she's like, no, mm-hmm. this got, like we were flirting. We were hooking up. It wasn't for a story. And he said something to show off. 
Mm-hmm. And I have that. And they're like, well, let's go for the jugular. <laughs> like, and she's mm-hmm. like, I don't smell blood like you guys do. Like, I didn't pick that up and immediately think story. I was like flirting with a guy and drinking with a guy, mm-hmm. maybe actually sleeping with a guy. Um, and, and so I think in this scene, it's like the total inversion of that. But it's like it's just this little mm-hmm. window. It's a window into an experience that Woodstein are never going to have when they're telling this story. They're never going to have that line that they need to cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's great. It's like this whole, like, what does need to be said there? There's nothing that needs to be said there. And I think that's a testament to um, the script, uh, William Goldman's script, like how great it is. Like, you know, in lesser hands, it would have been totally overwritten. This movie would have been so overwritten because the writer would be in love with his own voice and have to feel like they need to voice something in that scene. (laughs) And like, thank God, like, ego doesn't come into play at that point and at that juncture. And I think that's so important for that, you know, following scene, just cause like she just drops it on his desk. He looks over and there's this whole like exchange between the two that is just like, you know, thank you for compromising who you are to help me get the story. I know you get it. Like, you know, I can't write dialogue. That wouldn't be my dialogue that I would write for a scene if I were a screenwriter. Um, but you know, just that, sort of nut, that unspoken sort of connection between the pair, I think is so great. Um, it and just, it captures that. And, mm-hmm. that. and that connection is in this minute because really for mm-hmm. 30 yeah. seconds or like even just a, maybe a smidgen over 30 seconds, they're not talking, but it's, mm-hmm. it's Woodward and, and Kay that are having a connection because she's looking at Hoffman, but then looking yeah. back mm-hmm. at Woodward. Like, oh, sorry, looking at Bernstein, but then looking back at Woodward, like the emotion, she's like registering emotion on her face, looking at both of them together, both of them together, like her eyes, are, her eye line shifting between the, the two, the two points. It's making all this sense in the two shot to like continue to go back to them. And then finally it's like Woodward who has been like really dialed into how quickly her emotions have shifted that this is the bad. No, we're not going to keep going. Just stop. Mm-hmm. We're done. And mm-hmm. so I think that that acknowledgement is just so great because there's that connection. And, you know, you know, even, even though I know your favorite genre is married people arguing, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> married people arguing genre is a great genre for, for, for loaded silences and just conveying things, you. And, and conveying things in glances, like, mm-hmm. you know, all married people and all, if you're in a couple for a long time, you've had a long relationship you don't need your spouse or partner to yell at you to know that they're mm-hmm. angry. You can just right. See the a silence look. is deafening. <laughs> you it is see, deafening. You can see a look. <laughs> you can see a look. Yeah, and go, yep. Yeah, I know. I know. I know what that look means. That look is. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a good one. That's right. That's right. So that's why the scene is so great. Like, there's that connection between the two mm. is a completely different connection between, you know, the connection between Kay and Woodward is totally different than the connection or disconnection between Bernstein and Kay. Yes. And, and then you also get that brilliant, like, like you said, good cop, bad cop between Woodward and Bernstein, where one of them's taking this more sort of aggressive role and the other one's taking a more less aggressive role in the scene and that sort of speaks to the da- their dynamic as sort of this team, assigned team of reporters to sort of get the story. Yes. And it's, you know, it's, I think they, it's, it's like the, 
I don't know. It's 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 the whole energy. It's the whole feel of the rest of the movie is how these guys interplay with one another and and mm-hmm. or what they learn from one another. So like in this scene, you know, I think this is such a great scene. It's just so hard not to talk about it in, in reference to the Sally Aitken scene. It's so hard not to reference in the bookkeeper scene because it's like mm-hmm. what I love about each of these scenes is that sometimes when Woodward sees that Bernstein goes for blood and that like instinctively that was the right decision, not necessarily in this scene, obviously, but in other scenes where Mm -hmm. he does ask the tough Mm -hmm. question. It's so cool Mm -hmm. to see how Woodward then will ask a tough question in one of the next scenes. Like he'll, he'll take the, the more dominant role because he's Mm -hmm. learning from his Mm -hmm. partner and similarly an invert on the inverse thing. And I think we're going to have just an absolute ball talking about it with the different people that do on the show is, you know, Mm -hmm. the book, the bookkeeper scene watching how Bernstein retreats like the burn scene who is being very dominant in this scene looking over you know asking a question maybe like not registering the emotion of the person that is completely completely opposite to the guy who is sitting across from jane alexander and watching Mm -hmm. her agonize every second that she's like and he's eking out information and writing on matchbooks and having twelve thousand coffees and talking very slowly and silently and like having this sort of hangdog posture and, and, and pretending, mm-hmm. well, not pretending, but like just sort of keeping himself in that space in a very passive way. Then he is blustering into this moment. I think it's, I think it's a great, it's how, how these guys relate and learn from one another and get better and more capable at their jobs throughout this thing is, is one of those addictive, obsessive qualities to it. Mm-hmm. I do think this is a very, like, this is a relationship movie on some <laughs> level. Do you know what I mean? It so is. that's why I was eager to come on because in some <laughs> ways it really is. Like, it's this dynamic between the friendship movie, but, like, you know, and how these people sort of negotiate their worlds and, and sort of, like, get together and how their team is, like, sort of like a buddy cop formula, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, it's no, it's, it's no surprise that, um, you know, the great William Goldman who, who wrote the script mm-hmm. really like reinvented the buddy cop and still kind of gets stolen from with like the buddy cop genre with Butch yeah. Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You know, like that is the, yeah. if we're talking about OG buddy cop like formats, like that's, mm-hmm. that's the one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can definitely see that these guys have got that energy, but they're trying to they're trying not to, that's the structure. Like that, that's the structure. Yeah. They're trying not to, they're trying but it's to very it. understated. Yeah. They're trying to make it understated. They're trying to pull back a lot of the, the shine. It's mm-hmm. not the last boy scout. Mm-hmm. It's not the last boy scout. No, God. It's not been taken <laughs> to that level, but it's, uh, but what if there was a last boy scout, but for journalism, <laughs> I'm going to pitch Joel Silver this on Monday. Uh, <laughs> Get on the Zoom chat. I'll be on there. I'm in. I, number one, I'm in. <laughs> Good. Uh, no, awesome. I, I, I'm in. Um, we we need we need someone who's been trying to copy Tony Scott's style because that there's just I mean it's that I I have to say just it's so random to say, but I think that Bruce Willis's Joe Hallenbach is such a cool character. Like he's such a cool mm-hmm. dirtbag of a character. Like great a great yeah. character to meme. Like he would be memed to death yeah. if, if that movie was released tomorrow. Um, great villains, yeah. slimy villains. But that's like, I feel like that's the, uh, that that's like if this movie was the paper boy, you know, like it needs to like be grimy yeah. and disgusting and uh-huh. someone needs to be peed on. That would, that would be the last boy <laughs> scout of journalism movies. Just 
swampy and sweaty. Swampy, sweaty, gross, questionable morals. Um, lots of, lots of, yes. uh, ma- it, the whole movie would be conversations like this where you ask people <laughs> to do questionable things to give you story details. Like that would be the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, it would be definitely not a good journalism movie. <laughs> That's the title. That's the title. Definitely not a good journalism movie. Court, it's been nearly a year and a half since we last spoke and it's been way too long. Thank you so much. Thank for you for this. having me on. Thank you yeah, so much Yeah, this has been this. great. So good to talk thank to you. Thank you. I want to thank you also for being such an awesome friend to like uh, uh, be the curator of great, wonderful guests. Jen Johans, who has been a guest uh, and 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 is now running her great uh, show, Watch with Jen, said, "Blake, I've got there's a secret history you don't know about is that when you asked me to do your show, I spoke to Courtney and asked mm-hmm. uh, and asked, is this guy okay? And I want to say thank you for answering. <laughs> yeah, he's fine. <laughs> or, or whatever your whatever your answer was, I imagine. Yeah, he's fine." You can talk to Blake. Yeah. He's just obsessed with heat. He's great. Well, whatever you said. I was like, I was like, you must go on. It was a blast. <laughs> I was like, I really, I counted you up, man. Oh, thank you. I know. It you, was great. I know you did. I, I'm just being silly, uh, being a complete silly news. <laughs> but look, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of it. It's um, it's great to talk to you. And, and again, by pure osmosis, such a great scene to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It was great to sort of get into the nitty gritty of this movie finally, like, what a what a pleasure to be able to have the time to do something like this. That was my incredible guest, Courtney Howard, friend of the show, and uh, it, you know. The kinship greater than just the surname. Uh, you can find her on Twitter. That's the best place to find her. It's at Lula Maybell, which is L U L A M A Y B E L L E, because her stuff bounces off to a Variety, Fresh Fiction TV, Award Circuit, and there's also a link in the description of this podcast off to her Rotten Tomatoes, so you can go and just find what she is up to. Court, thank you so much. You're a legend, and thank you so much for being an advocate for the crazy adventures at One Heat Minute Productions. Guys, thank you so much for listening once again. This is a Dynamite Minute. I'm so glad that I got to talk to Court with it. We have a bunch of great episodes coming up, so thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for listening to all of the incredible One Heat Minute Productions, including the two active ones right now, which is Increment Vice, which is in the 30s, up to episode 30 of 45, 46. There are not going to be many episodes to go. Travis, most certainly on the downhill slope, a terrific show you must listen to if you don't already. Thank you for listening to all the President's Minutes. We are winding up too. We are basically going to land on that finish line together. Me at four episodes a week, Travis at one. Um, So looking forward very much to that. If you want to follow the show, at ATPM pod on Twitter is the best place you can find exclusively all the president's minute stuff. One Blake minute for myself, for myself, Blake Howard. Um, and one heat minute.com is a way that you can bounce to all of our different productions about the shows, our collaborators, everything like that. And so um, if you if you want to support us, the best thing you can do is share it. If you know folks who love movie nattering on, please share it with them. Share it on your Facebooks or on your Twitters. Um, if you're still on that hellscape that is Facebook, um, yeah, do it there. Um, or by Carrier Pigeon, if that's what's required. Teletype, for God's sake. Teletype makes the most sense for this show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on another episode very soon. And if you're still listening, thank you. <laughs>